want you to think this morning about culture. A week or two ago, we were challenged by Brother Mike. He was looking in Revelation chapter 3. And if you recall, he was looking at the church in Laodicea. And he painted a picture for us that helped us to see the culture of Laodicea, the city, and what was going on around the church. And then he looked at the culture within the church that we see at Laodicea. And how the culture from society was able to creep in, it seemed, into the church of Laodicea. It challenged me. It began to, I began to think about, what's the culture at Westside? What's the culture at Westside? And this morning, for a few minutes, I want you to think about that with me. And there, I'm going to offer a few things, and you're going to, offer, you're going to think about a few more things. What I'm going to give you is not an extensive list. But this morning, I want you to think about and be honest about the culture at Westside. Seven years ago, I was talking to Julie this morning. Our lives were absolutely nuts. Our lives seven years ago today were crazy. Seven years ago today, I was preparing to preach final sermons in Fordland, Missouri. The last Sunday of February was the last Sunday that our family was going to be there. We were preparing to move to Midland, Texas, seven years ago now. And we had no idea what was ahead of us. And Julie was suffering with kidney stones. She was going to have surgery right before we moved. Our parents thought we had absolutely lost our minds, that we were going to move with her in that state. The uh, moving truck was loaded while she was in the hospital. And we headed this way, just the two of us. We didn't make it all the way. We had to stop in Lawton, Oklahoma for a night in the ER. And then we finally arrived in Midland. Sharon McKay and Karen Wilson met our moving truck. We weren't here, and our moving truck arrived. And Sister Sharon was there, and she was part of that. And we were thinking to ourselves, perhaps, what in the world are we thinking? <laughs> Why are we making this move? What's, got, what's happening? Brother Carl, I don't know if you remember, but uh, outside of Mike, you were the first one from Westside that I talked to, serving as an elder at that time. And I remember Brother Carl, he was not working for the Chamber of Commerce in Midland, and he said, what are you thinking moving to Midland, Texas from the Ozarks of Missouri? You've got all that green grass, all those tall trees, all those lakes and rivers. What are you thinking moving to Midland, Texas? I don't remember what I said, but we were excited about the move. And seven years later, honestly, we can say it's been the best move our family has made. We love it here. We feel a part of the family here. I want you to think about with me the culture at Westside. I'm not here this morning to beat us up. I'm here to use the Word of God as it should be used to encourage. I want you to consider with, with me what do you think when you think about the Westside congregation. Number one, I think about family, don't you? I think about the word family. When you come into this congregation, you're part of this congregation, I think that genuinely we like each other. I think we like each other. Last Sunday morning, I felt not good at all, and I had to watch from home. That's the first time I believe that I've watched the live stream from home, and I, I hated it. I didn't like it at all. It, it does not replace being here at all. I didn't like it at all, and, and I got up, believe it or not, I was sitting on the couch, and I wasn't wearing a tie. I was sitting on the couch... 
And after services were over, I got up and I took a shower and I put on a suit and I said, I'm going tonight because I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that, the, I mean, it's a wonderful thing and I'm not taking away from it, but it doesn't replace being here. You're looking at people from the, the back and, and I could see your heads and I, I knew where you were sitting and I was like, I want to be there. I think this is a family and I think it needs to be a family we're the family of God. We, we need to like each other. I think we do. That's a culture that's inviting, and we need to be an inviting people, don't we? We want people to be here with us, and we want to like each other. We want to get along. Number two, I think we have a good mix of young and old at Westside. A good mix of young and old. And again, I think that was very evident last Sunday afternoon. I really appreciate all the work that goes into that sweetheart banquet. And I think that all who were there in that room, it looked like from the pictures that I saw in the bulletin, a lot of people were there, right? A lot of you were involved in that sweetheart banquet. I think that's such a wonderful thing. I think that's such a positive thing for our young people to be able to sit down and enjoy a meal with some of our older saints. I think it breathes life into some of the older saints who were there and who were a part of that, getting to visit with some of our young people. I think at Westside we have a good mix of young and old and I think that's a positive thing. Number three, I think we have committed Bible class teachers and kids who really want to learn the Word of God. I think this is such a positive thing when I think about our Bible classes. When I think about the time and the effort that, that our teachers put into getting that lesson put together and then presenting that lesson... It's evident when you come to Pew Packers on Sunday night and those, those kids talk about what they learned in Bible class from two and three years old all the way up. It's amazing to me. I think that's such a positive thing that teachers put in so much time and effort to putting the Word of God into our young people. I think that's such a positive thing. I remember the first Bible class, I believe it was one of the first Bible classes that I sat in after we moved here. It was over in the Zoe room and, and some of you will recall... Brother uh, Derek Martin. Brother Derek was teaching the class in there. It, it wasn't a preacher. Derek wasn't a, even a deacon. He was just a member of the congregation. And I remember thinking, wow, this man put in a lot of time. He put in a lot of effort to teaching that Bible class, to presenting the Word of God. I think that's such a positive thing about Westside. That we have, we have uh, good men and women who put in so much time and they're committed to, to presenting the Word of God so that everybody can be encouraged and grow in knowledge of the Word of God. I think that's such a positive thing. Number four, I think about families. I think about young families who are committed to putting the Word of God into the hearts of their children. I think about Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And I think about the instruction that, that Paul gives to families, to fathers and mothers, to husbands and wives, to present the Word of God and to help their children grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior. I think about uh, families at Westside who are committed to doing this. And again, I can only speak from a, a parent's perspective. I'm not good at this all the time. I really struggle with this. But I know that as a collective group, we're trying, right? I think we have a group of, of families who are really trying to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think we're really wanting, and, I, and what I really appreciate are those who have raised their children, those who have uh, advanced in, in years beyond where we are, that you're such an encouragement to us, that you want us to succeed, that you want our children to become Christians, 
that you are really interested in helping us help our children be strong in the Lord. We appreciate that more than you know. But you've been in our shoes. You know what that's like. You know what that takes. You know the struggles that come with that. And we appreciate your encouragement so much. I think that's such a positive thing about the congregation at Westside. Number five, when I think about the culture at Westside, I think about how well-fed the congregation is from this pulpit. I think about Brother Mike and the work that he puts into preparing his sermons. And I was, I was thinking again about what he said a week or two ago and, and concerning the, the character of God. And I remember he was standing right up here and I heard him say it and I appreciated so much what he said when he said, I will not be out-preached concerning the character of God. I will not let anybody hijack this pulpit. I will not let anybody out-preach the character of God. I will remind you over and over again about the character of God, who God is and what He is all about. A congregation that is fed like that, that's such a positive thing that you and I need never to take for granted. He stood right there a week or two ago and He said, I will not be out-preached on the grace of God. I will stand and I will proclaim over and over and over again the grace of God. He said how unfortunate it is that the denominational world has hijacked, as it were, the grace of God. When you and I as Christians, we know that we are saved by the grace of God. And so how can we be out-preached on the grace of God? A congregation that is fed like that, that's a positive thing. And we need not to take that for granted. We need to, to value what goes into these sermons and value the time that he puts in and value the thinking and the thought process where he says, I want you to see God in every text. A congregation that is fed like that. It's got all the potential in the world. It's being fed from the Word of God. And so when I think about the culture of Westside, and these are just a few things that I see, just a few things that I can bring out. We have all the ingredients for growth. We have all the ingredients for growth. I'm not here this morning to tear us down. I'm here this morning to build us up. You saw the title of the sermon, no doubt, in the bulletin, or you saw it in the handout today, The Lost We Meet. Are we talking evangelism? Yes, we're talking evangelism. This morning, I want to ask you, how many baptisms have we had we're now basically two months into the year. January and February. How many baptisms have we had? The answer is none. And so, if the rest of the year plays out like the beginning of the year, how many will we have? And the answer is none. We have all of these positives. All of the ingredients are there. What are we missing? That's an honest question, isn't it? I mean, can we just be real this morning? Can we just be thinking about it? What are we doing? What are we missing? We've got all of these positives and all of these great ingredients are there. I think what we need is a culture that lives and breathes evangelism. 
we need to be thinking and thinking and thinking again about souls. I know. I know all of the, the things that we can say. I know all the things that we might be thinking. I know all of the hurdles and the obstacles that you and I can come up with. A lot of it boils down to time. Adam, I just don't have the time. I'm trying to raise a family. I've got a full-time job. I've got all of these responsibilities. I've got all of these things going on in my life. And I don't know that I have time for that. I don't know that I have time to, to do these things. I'm just not good at that. It's just not my personality. I'm just not good at talking to people. I'm just not good at, at, at having those kinds of conversations. I just don't know that I've got the knowledge base. You know, they're going to ask me questions that I don't know, but, and I don't know what, what to do with that. And that's going to put me in a very difficult position, and, and I just don't know what I can do with that. Adam, these are relationships that I treasure in my life. And I suppose that if I engage in these kinds of conversations, that it might damage that relationship, that it might alter or change that relationship. Do I need to go on? Thought all the same things myself. I continue to think some of those things myself. All of those things can be very, very true. But this morning what I've come to remind us is that the world needs us. The world needs us. And I want you to think about it. The world is in need of good news. Shad read for us a moment ago the familiar words of Jesus about two roads. And they're the only two roads that exist, right? There is no middle ground. There's a wide road and there's a narrow road. There's a road that leads to destruction and death. There's a road that leads to life eternally. And everybody that's living, everybody that's living of accountable age is on one of those two roads. They're the only two options that exist. And the world is in need of good news. <clears throat> Turn in your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 12. Can I remind you what the, the writer of Hebrews has to say about sin? And I want you to think about this and our responsibility as Christians and what, what God is asking us to do. I want to remind you today that sin is really bad news. Sin is really bad news. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know what sin is? The writer of Hebrews says it's weight. If sin is that which weighs us down. Remember that show used to be on TV called The Biggest Loser? Remember watching The Biggest Loser? I don't, I don't know that I watched a lot of episodes, but I was familiar enough with how the show worked, and maybe you recall. I remember that the first week of the show, you would have these people who were, were very, very large people, and they were desiring to be smaller. They were desiring to lose weight. And so the beginning of the show, I mean, they could barely take any steps on a treadmill. They could barely lift any kind of weight at all. And they were so heavy, they were weighed down with all of this excess weight. And they desired to get rid of it. Several weeks pass. And if you, if you compared where they started to where they ended, 
It's remarkable. Right? It was absolutely remarkable to see what they could do. At the beginning, they couldn't take two steps without being tired and, and ready to sit down. And by the end, they're running. They're running a race or they're, they're running and they're not tired at all. They, they got rid of the weight. The world is weighed down. The world is weighed down by sin and they're, they're looking for a way to get rid of it. They've got struggles in their life and they're struggling with sin and they're so consumed with this life of sin and they're tired of being weighed down and they need somebody to come and say, I've got good news. They're ready to get rid of the weight. Now who's going to help them with that? Sin is a major cause of grief. It's a weight. And the Bible says it's a major cause of grief. Turn over to Psalm 31 and look at verse number 10. Psalm 31 and verse number 10. The psalmist says, let's back up to verse 9. Have mercy, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. You know, there are people in this life who are struggling with iniquity. My strength fails because of iniquity. My bones are wasting away. My eye wastes with grief. My soul and my body, my life is spent with grief. You and I, as we go about our daily lives, we are looking on people who are weighed down with sin and they're looking for a way to get off of it, get out of it. They're grieved by their sin. They're lost and they're grieved by their sin. They're weighed down by it. They have heartache and they don't know how to get out of it. Who's going to help them with that? You see, we have a culture at Westside where I think people, once they come and they see what we have, they'll want what we have. They'll want to get rid of the weight and they'll find in Jesus a way to do that. They'll, they're, they're grieved by their sin. They're, they're, they're uh, hurt by it. They want to get out of it. You and I, you and I have the remedy. You and I have it in our, in our hearts and in our hands. And we can help these people. But think about this. In Isaiah chapter 59, hear the familiar words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 59, I want you to think about verses 1 and 2. And I, no doubt these are verses that you know. And no doubt these are verses that you've heard many, many times before. But this is what I need to know. That when I look on the face of one who is lost, I need to be reminded that this is where they are. In Isaiah chapter 59, in verse number 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. When I look into the eyes of one who is lost, I'm looking into the eyes of one who is separated from God. And that's what I need to be thinking about. This is one who is separated from God. And if they die separated from God, then forever they're going to be separated from God. Am I okay with that? 
telling you, that needs to stir something within me. It needs to stir something within my heart. I need not to be okay with that. I know the treasure that I have found. Someone loved me enough to share with me the gospel. Someone loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. Someone loved me enough to say, Hey, Adam, I don't want to push you toward that fire. I want to pull you out of it. What am I going to do with that? The remedy for being weighed down, grieved, and separated from God, the remedy is the gospel. Paul says that Satan is, or Peter says rather, that Satan is walking about like a roaring lion, that he's seeking those whom he may devour. And you and I have the remedy in our hearts and literally in our hands. And what are we going to do with that? Now, I want you to think about it. All right? Now, I, I, I'm giving this some thought. And I want you to think, okay, we, we've got a great culture. I really feel this, right? I didn't come this morning to beat us up. I came this morning to build us up. I came this morning to use the Bible and to help us see the remedy for sin. To understand that when we look on those who are lost, that there's an answer. Praise God that there's an answer. That we don't have to stay lost, and neither do they. There's a remedy for this. There's a way to help those who are lost. There's only one way. There's one truth. There's one source of being right with God. And we have it in our hearts and in our hands. What are we going to do with this? I think we have a great culture. I think we have so many positives. I think there are so many reasons why someone would want to be a part of the family here at Westside. I think there's so many great things. But consider with me, what will evangelism do for this congregation? If we all determine within ourselves that I am going to, I am going to put effort into this, and we'll talk more about that tonight, but I, I am going to work at this, I'm going to do something about this, I, I am not going to be okay with looking into the face of those who are lost and not doing anything about it. I'm not going to be okay with that. I want you to think about the culture that evangelism will breed within this congregation. Let me give you just a few and then I'm going to be done today. How can evangelism build up this congregation at Westside? Number one, evangelism demonstrates obedience. Is that not true? Evangelism demonstrates obedience. Do I need to give you the verses that you already knew that we were going to get to? Do I need to tell you about Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? You remember what Jesus said, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Some of the very last words of our Lord recorded were, Go and make disciples. Mark's account. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Go, therefore, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Some of the last words that Jesus told before He went back to heaven were about what? Going and making disciples. Go and preach the gospel. Go teach, baptize. 
Go and do this. What about Luke's account? Luke's account. Luke chapter 24. He tells the apostles to stay in Jerusalem. You stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we see that happening in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus tells them that after the power has come upon them, that they will, they will teach, they will preach to those who are in Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem. And then that message was going to go out into Judea, and then it was going to go out into all of the world. So it's going to begin in Jerusalem, it's going to spread to Judea, that region around Jerusalem, and eventually the gospel is going to be spread into all the world. But those are the last words that Luke records of Jesus. What about John's account? You know, we don't often look at John's account, but I don't see why not. You remember in John chapter 21 that, that Jesus says to Peter three times, do what? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Hey, Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I submit that's exactly what Peter was doing beginning in Acts chapter 2, was it not? Feeding my sheep. That's exactly what was going on. Fulfilling the Great Commission. That's exactly what was happening. And so it demonstrates obedience. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so when we as a congregation go and teach the gospel, what are we doing? We're obeying what Jesus commanded us to do. Evangelism demonstrates obedience. I can suppose I could take a poll this morning and say, how many of you are interested in obeying God? <laughs> and I think every hand would go up, right? We want to obey God. And so we don't have an out when it comes to evangelism, do we? Because God has commanded us to do this. Now, go to the book of Acts with me for a moment and look at what takes place. I want you to see a couple of things. Now, the first one is pretty simple and straightforward. They both are. But this is what we find. Okay, Jesus has given this command, and this is what we find the first century church doing. In Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19, the Bible says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were preaching the word to no one but to choose only. So they go, they're, they're scattered about, and they go, and what are they doing? They're preaching the word. That's what they're about. Look at chapter 15 and verse 35. Chapter 15 and verse 35. The Bible says, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, and they were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So it's not just Paul and Barnabas. It's not just Paul and Silas. It's not just a few who are going and preaching, but everybody who's scattered, all of the Christians are going, and they're sharing the gospel. They're telling others about Jesus. Now, think about it this way. Your Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, something similar to what mine says. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Bible says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, what's the next word? Daily. Those who are being saved. The Lord was adding to the church daily those who are being saved. I think about that word daily. Look at chapter 16 in verse number 5. Acts chapter 16 in verse number 5. 
The Bible says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number how often? Daily. They increased in number daily. Now you go to chapter 17 and you look at verse number 11. This is a familiar verse. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bible says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily. See it? Search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. As often as they were searching the scriptures, as often as they were studying the Bible, people were being added by the Lord to the church. They were increasing in number daily. I want to be a good student of the Word of God. I struggle myself with being the kind of student that I really want to be. And sometimes, this may not be something that we do on a daily basis, though we find that these did. And as often as they were studying the Word of God is as often as the church was growing. What does that tell us? That these people were very concerned with knowing the Word of God. These first century Christians, they wanted, they were searching it with all readiness. They had a great desire to know the Word of God and to grow in knowledge of the Word of God. But it also tells us that they had that same desire every day for others to know the Word of God. What about me? Listen, I can't speak for you. But I want to be a part of a culture in a congregation that says, I want to know the Word of God. I want to know it intimately. And I want to help others know it too. That's what I want to be about. I want to be a part of a culture that says, I want other people to know it. I want my family to know it. I want my friends to know it. I want my co-workers to know it. I want my classmates to know it. I want my neighbors to know it. I want the person at the bank that I see to know it. I want the one in the grocery store. I want them to know it. They increased in number daily. I wonder how many excuses we could offer. I wonder how many excuses they wanted to give. <laughs> and yet they went about doing it. I want to do that too. I think about the words of Paul over in the book of Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, Paul, Paul gives the method that God has armed us with in reaching out to those who are lost. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 1, he starts the letter by saying, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His Word through what? Through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God has made known to us, makes known to the world, His will through what? Through preaching. Through teaching. Through opening my mouth and sharing it with someone else. That's our responsibility as Christians. Evangelism will build up this congregation because it, it demonstrates obedience to God. That's, that's the command that's been given to us, right? And I know that all of us sitting here this morning, we all want to obey God. We all want to do what He tells us to do. Well, this is a very, a very straightforward command that is given in the New Testament. 
We don't have a choice. We are to be evangelistic. We are to be thinking about the souls within others that we see on a daily basis. Let me give you number two. How does evangelism build up a congregation? Number two, it builds enthusiasm. You know, when babies are born, you can just feel it, right? You can feel it in a congregation. I love to hear the cries of, of children while I'm preaching. It doesn't bother me a bit. I don't want mothers ever to be embarrassed about it. I love to hear it because I know that if we don't hear it, then it's not going to be heard and it's going to go away. And, and we don't want to be a part of a congregation with no crying babies, do we? No, we don't want to be a part of a congregation with no crying babies. We need crying babies. That, that is a, that's a congregation that's growing. That, that's important. That's a congregation that has life. And babies have a way of breathing enthusiasm into a congregation. It makes us to feel young and we like it. We need it. Evangelism. Oh man, when somebody responds to the Lord's invitation, when somebody is baptized into Christ, when you, you show up on, Monday, on Sunday morning to worship and, and you've heard that there have been a baptism in the, in the last week, there's just something about that, right? It just it gets you going. You just feel great about that. You can't wait to hug that person. You can't wait to, to see that person. It just has a way of breathing great enthusiasm into a congregation. I think about Isaiah chapter 2. When Isaiah was, well, 700 years, he was looking into the future. And he was seeing the beginning of the Lord's church. And when I read Isaiah chapter 2, I see the enthusiasm of being a part of that kingdom. The enthusiasm of being a part of the Lord's church. And it shall come to pass, verse number 2, Isaiah 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I'm telling you, there's great enthusiasm in those verses concerning the Lord's church. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Come and let us go and meet the Lord. Come and let us go to where the saved are found. There's great enthusiasm in those verses. I love the church of Christ. I love the fact that Jesus died and purchased us with His blood. I love the fact that we can be a part of that blood-bought body and we can be saved. And the enthusiasm, the zeal that should come with this, well, it should be contagious. Are you excited to be a Christian? Yeah, I'm excited. Are you excited to be a Christian? I'm telling you, that's something to be excited about. And that excitement... That enthusiasm that we have, that zeal that we should feel about the Lord and what He has done for us, it should be contagious. It really should. People should be able to see something different in us. They should be able to see that, that there's something different about the way that He carries Himself. There's something different about the way that she carries herself. I want to be excited to be a Christian. I want to be a part of a congregation with excited Christians. And I'm telling you, evangelism will have a way of breathing new zeal and enthusiasm. And people will want to come and they'll want to be a part of a congregation 
where people are excited about the message of the gospel, where people are excited about Jesus and the, the salvation that is offered in Him. I think about what Paul said about the congregation of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I just wonder, is this not a culture that you and I should have? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, this is not about evangelism. This is about their, their willingness to give and, and willingness to help their brethren in, in need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. It, it's not needful for me really to write, for I know your willingness, verse 2, about which I boast to you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Listen, concerning your willingness to help your brethren in need, he said, I can tell your zeal that you have this great desire to do that. He says, in fact, I don't even need to write about it because your zeal has gone out. Your brethren all over, they know about your zeal. I want that kind of zeal for evangelism, for reaching the lost. I'm telling you, it'll breathe new life into a congregation. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 15 that we're to be zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. I want to be about doing this. I want to be about helping all the people that we can help. And it will breathe enthusiasm into a congregation. Once you get a ball rolling, it'll just have a way, I believe, of continuing to roll. That we can really help this along with the help of God. We can become a congregation that has a culture that says we want to reach the lost. We are interested in the souls of those in the community around us. That we are interested in the souls of our families and friends. That we are interested in their souls and we're going to do something about it. It has a way of, well, it just has a way of catching fire. I, I believe with all my heart that it can. I believe with all my heart it can. You know what evangelism will do for a congregation? It will combat the devil. It will combat the devil. It's one of our greatest defenses. It really is. I believe that with all my heart. You know, we've already thought about what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 about the devil and, and his being a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Do you know how you destroy the influence of Satan? Do you know how you go about fighting him? Do you go on the offensive against him? Now this is done only with the help of God. Don't get me wrong. This isn't something that, that I just decide I'm going to take them on by myself. This is only done with the help of God. And collectively as God's people, one of the greatest ways that we have of fighting against the devil is to help those who are on the devil's side get onto the Lord's side. It's one of our greatest offenses. That's how we fight the devil. We help people get out of his clutches to get into the hand of the Lord. That's what we're about. That's what we need to be doing. You destroy His influence by winning souls. His goal is to separate everybody from Christ. So we're about helping them to be saved. I'm telling you, evangelism is one of the greatest assets we have. It's one of the greatest things we can do to fight against the devil. I hate the devil, don't you? I'm telling you, I hate the devil. I don't mind to tell you this morning. I hate the devil. I know that all the devil desires is for the destruction of souls. I know that all the devil is about is, is people going to hell. That's all he cares about. 
That's his M.O. He will do whatever he has to do. He will transform himself into whatever he needs to do in order to help people go to hell. That's all he cares about. I hate the devil. I want to fight the devil. One of the greatest things I can do for Jesus is to share his message. His message of hope. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came to destroy the devil. It's all the same to you. I'd rather be fighting on the Lord's side. I want to be on the, de- on the Lord's side. I want to fight against the devil. I do that by sharing the gospel. I do that by taking a message of hope to those who are lost. I do that by sharing a message with those who are weighed down by sin. Those who are grieved by sin. I do that by sharing a message with those who are separated from God because I'm not okay with them being eternally separated from God. Because I know the Lord, His desire is not for them to be separated eternally. I know the desire of Christ is not for them to die in that condition. I know that because Jesus came and gave His very life so that they don't have to die in that condition. And Jesus has given me, little old me, little puny, tiny me, a message of hope. And He has commanded me to take that message to those who are lost. I love the congregation here at Westside. For seven years, my family and I have been a part of this congregation with no regrets. We moved and never looked back. It's all the same. We'll just stay. We'll just be here. I can't say what the Lord has in store. I don't know. But I want the culture of this congregation to remain not only what it is, but I see such great potential here. I see a zeal for soul winning. I want to breathe into this congregation. I want to help this congregation. And it's a collective effort, right? It's not just me. It's not just the elders. It's not just Mike. It's not anybody. It's all who can help us to have a culture that says we're going to be about reaching those who are lost. We're going to do that. Now, tonight, we'll look at some specifics. But I, this morning, what I've come to say is, it starts with a culture. It starts with a mindset. It starts with every single one of us to start thinking more about souls. It's just going to be a part of my mindset. I'm just going to make it a part of my daily living, that I'm going to be thinking about souls and I know that, that as a mother, you're raising your babies. And I know that as fathers, you're working. And I'm not trying to stereotype. But I know, uh, I know what we have going on in our lives. And I know I don't feel good. And I've got this and, and I've got that. And, and I know that we have daily lives that we live. And we have struggles that come with our daily lives. But as part of our daily lives, I want to begin to think only or think more about souls. And about Jesus who died to save. 
And I don't want to be okay looking into the eyes of the lost and not having it register. I just don't want to be okay with that. I think we can help each other. I know we can to fulfill this command of God. And I think it would be so fun when we get this ball rolling, the enthusiasm that will, that will follow. I am excited. I've come not to tear down today. I've come to build up with the Word of God because I know that with the help of God, this can be accomplished, that we can do tremendously great things. And so this morning, I'm challenging us as a congregation to begin to think souls and begin to think about this culture and what we can do to breathe life into this congregation, helping those who are lost to be saved. That's what it's all about because Jesus came and He provides us with the avenue of, of salvation. He allows us an opportunity to get onto a road that leads not to destruction but to eternal life. And this morning, if you're not on that road, then it's time for you to get on that road. It's time for you to leave the clutches of the devil and it's time for you to get with Jesus. It's time for you to be saved. Now listen, I, I don't know anything about what, except what this Word teaches us. This is God's Word, and, and it tells us what we have to do in order to get on that road to be saved. It tells us about the love of God and the relationship that He desires to have with each one of us. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, there's no reason for you to leave in that condition. If you're not a Christian, are you ready to come to the Lord today? Do you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession? Are you ready this morning to repent of sin in your life and to be immersed in the waters of baptism for the salvation of your soul? Your sins can be forgiven, washed away by the blood of Christ, and you can be found in Christ today. That's good news. Maybe as a Christian, though, you've wandered away, or maybe as a Christian you're examining yourself and you say, you know what, I've just not been very zealous. I'm just not living the way that I think I should. I've just not been committed to doing the will of God. And I, I've not been helping others around me in a public or private way. Let's make it right today. Let's do what the Lord commands us to do. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in a public way, and you need to confess sin, or this morning you need to request prayers of your brethren, we're a family, right? We're here to help each other get home. That's what it's all about. This morning, if you need to come to the Lord or if you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus, it's extended to all. Come if you need. All together we stand and sing.